so I sat up here so I could hear the speaker really good this morning. And then I thought, uh-oh, I am the speaker. So I told Hunter yet last night that uh, we, since we have new chairs, uh, he can preach longer. So, yeah, he liked that idea. Uh, yeah, he liked that idea. Well, good morning. Um, I'm glad to be here this morning and appreciate, as always, uh, the opportunity to share, uh, and especially to share to this with this group. Um, one more thing that I want to remind everyone of, and that is uh, we're in the middle of 40 days of prayer. And so we're counting on all of you uh, to join us in seeking God's direction, God's timing, as we look forward uh, to uh, perhaps a, a third campus. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you read the Gospel of Mark, you know, Mark starts out really fast. And the first verse is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he get, he's got a, a quote from Malachi and, and Isaiah about the messenger that's going to come before uh, the Messiah. And that's John. And you look at John, and John steps up and he says, Hey, I got a great idea. Let's go out here in the desert and do a church plant. Right? Let's go out there where there's nobody and we'll do a church plant, and everybody's going to come and it'll be great. Well, it was great. Right? So Mark says, All of Jerusalem, all of Judea went out. Uh, to be baptized by John. So I was thinking maybe Hunter could go out into the cotton fields somewhere wearing uh, camel hair and eating uh, bull weevils or whatever it is we have and, and honey, and uh, maybe that'll work. Just, just saying. Um, but please daily uh, be in prayer for, uh, for God's direction. We're seeking his face uh, in, in that and so that we would honor him in everything. Uh, let's pray. For this reason, I bow, kneel before the Father. Pray that he may grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in our inner being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. I pray that we, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I'm sure you recognize that that is Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, and it's his prayer for the believers in Ephesus and for the church in all generations. And may that be our prayer for get well. Uh, 
And this morning I want to look at a couple of passages and talk about faithfulness and hardship. Faithfulness and hardship, which is very relevant to us today. Uh, and, and as a word of encouragement for us as men of God and, and as servants of Christ, uh, that our outlook should be optimistic. It's not easy, right? Life is hard. Life as a Christian is harder. Life as a Christian is harder. But the rewards are great, and the rewards are eternal. So the first passage I want to look at is 2 Timothy 2. We're going to look at verses 8 to 10. And what we're going to do is look at these verses, and then we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. See how Paul gets here from the beginning of the chapter. So verse 8 starts with Paul writing to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Amen. Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus, and his job was to uh, correct false teaching and heresy and to appoint leaders in the church. P- Timothy was to be a shepherd to the shepherds and a shepherd to the congregation in a very difficult time. Paul is concerned uh, for Timothy and uh, going forward. And the first thing he does, because he knows he's not going to be around Uh, to support him and to guide him. And so he wants him to uh, get his legs under him, so to speak. So Paul says in verse 8, the verse we just read, he wants Timothy to remember, and the word is also to keep on remembering. It's not just a one-time deal. That we draw our source of strength and the confirmation of what God's doing in our lives by remembering Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he's done. Paul talks about the person of Christ, his resurrection, his lineage to David, as the Savior and King being the fulfillment of all that came before him. And then finally, the gospel, which is why Paul is suffering, and it's why we face hardship as well. Because we're living out the gospel and we're proclaiming the gospel, which is a strong theme with Paul, not only with Timothy, but with Titus and with all the churches. Remember Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. He's Savior and King, which is what Paul's saying when he says that remember Jesus Christ and that he is uh, uh, the descendant of David. He's remembering the preservation of God's promise from Genesis 3.15, the promise of redemption realized in Jesus. 
God's sovereign will and divine providence, God swore an oath, this will be fulfilled. I will do this, and nothing will prevent God's plan from coming to completion. Now is God's presence made known in the incarnation. So the king came down to purchase citizens for his kingdom. That is the, 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 uh, that's the mission in a nutshell. That is the purpose of God's redemptive plan, that the king would come to purchase citizens for his kingdom. And God's power revealed in the resurrection of Christ. And what Paul's going to say here is that that resurrection power is the same power that lives within us. It's the same power that give us life that transferred us from death into life. It's the same power that will sustain us until we meet him face to face. Y'all, that's good news. That's good news. And that's why we should have an optimistic mindset because we know what our destiny is. Because when we remember Jesus Christ, we appropriate uh, the fact that he's the fulfillment of God's promise and we look forward to the future. Christ is Messiah, the culmination of redemptive history, past, present, and future. And the resurrection of power, uh, the resurrection power that sustains Paul, verse 9, and Paul's saying, look, Timothy, this is the same power that sustains you. Paul's telling Timothy that in the days and the months and the years ahead, remember this, as you suffer for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those who will come to faith in Christ. So when we are tempted, like Timothy would be in the future, to avoid pain, to avoid humiliation, to avoid suffering, or even death, in service to our Savior and King, Paul's saying, remember him. Remember what he has done for you. Because Christ lives, because Christ reigns, the power of the gospel is not diminished by our circumstances. Right? So God's still at work. That's why Paul can say, I'm in chains, but the word of God is not. The word of God is not bound. God speaks through his word and he speaks through his, the lives of his people and the words of his people. Paul is suffering and being bound as a criminal, as he says, just like his Lord. And the word for criminal there is the same word that Luke uses in Luke 23 to describe the two that died with Christ, that were crucified with him on the cross. Timothy would no doubt, you know, we've talked about Timothy in our Sunday class. And a lot of ink has been spilled over Timothy and, you know, the, He's timid, he's weak, he's sickly, you know, and that kind of thing. And I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that. Paul was sick. He had illnesses. Paul was, he said, you know, when I'm in your midst, I'm not quite as bold as I am when I'm writing to you, right? 
Timothy lived with Paul. He traveled with him. Paul discipled him. He trained him. He gave him responsibility, sent him to, to congregations to shepherd and teach and disciple. He was alongside Paul for over 15 years. And he saw this. He witnessed Paul's suffering. He witnessed the, the tribulation trials that comes with ministry. And he understood that. He shared in much of it, observed a lot of it. So Paul's pressing Timothy and he's pressing us to remember the grace of God in order to remain strong, to remain faithful because God has remained faithful to us. So no matter how difficult our present circumstance is, Paul is saying, stay strong in the faith. Why? Because the word of God is not bound. That's why. And it's for the sake of the elect, those who will come to faith through our proclamation, through our ministry. And that's why we do it. But then the question is, how? How do we do it? And Paul, you know, he, he begins this letter by reminding Timothy again of God's faithfulness in his life and in his ministry. And he says, Timothy, it's the same thing for you. In the first chapter, Paul's talking about God's faithfulness in his life and his calling and his ministry. And he shows Timothy, hey, you can see the same thing. Verses 1 to 5 of chapter 1, God's providence. Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It's God's providence that has called him, saved him and called him. And he reminds Timothy of your sincere faith that you've had from your family, your Christian home, right? That God used to bring you to faith. And then verses 6 to 14, God's provision. Paul says, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you. Don't sit on it, right? Fan it into flame. You work on it. You devote yourself to developing your gifts for the sake of the gospel. And then the Spirit of God does not make us timid. And this is that verse that everybody, timid, Timothy, what Paul's saying there in that verse says, the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-control. And it's not saying that Timothy is timid, but he's talking about Timothy's going to need courage in the future. He's going to need courage as he faces opposition and heresy and experiences suffering in his ministry. And the source of this courage is the Holy Spirit, which he already has. And that's the key for us. We don't have to ask for something new. We already have it. We already have the gift. We already have the Spirit. We already have it. What we have to do is surrender to Him to be available. Verse 8, so on account of what I've just said, Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And then what does he say? By the power of God. It's not in our own power. 
We don't do things because we are able. We do things because he is able. And verse 9 is the purpose, God's purpose. We have his uh, providence and his provision, God's purpose in verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And then finally, the source of it all, verses 13 and 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So now we're going to back up and look at the first seven verses of chapter 2. Paul says in verse 1, With all I've said about God's providence and his provision and his purpose and his power, about God's redemptive plan, about your calling, about your role in it, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The grace of Christ strengthens us, and like Paul and Timothy, we already have this grace. It gives us what we need through divine grace to serve him in all circumstances. God's grace is his unmerited favor, and it's his enabling power, not only in justification, but in sanctification, and ultimately in glorification. And this is good news, y'all. This is great news. And that's why we should be optimistic. It's not easy, but we should remain faithful because of this very truth. Paul is saying, stay strong. Keep on being strong. You have the same grace that I have. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, Timothy is to draw strength from God's grace in Christ in order to pass the gospel to others. Paul says, entrust this to other faithful men who then can uh, guard this deposit. The message, the gospel, the mission, the ministry of Christ, and the means is the body of Christ, us, me and you. So that leads us to the next question. We got the why. We're talking about the how. How do we remain faithful in the midst of hardship? The first point to note is that we're not passive in our growth. We're not passive in our service. God gives us a new heart, gives us the Holy Spirit, and we participate with spiritual discipline and diligence, as Paul says, to learn, to grow, to bear fruit. Verse 3, Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He began in chapter 1 and verse 8, exhorting Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel, and he repeats it here. What he's saying is, Timothy, you got to be all in. This is not a part time gig, right? You got to be all in in order to, to fulfill this calling and this role to stand firm against heresy, to stand firm against opposition, to stand firm against apathy. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. And he gives us three analogies, three examples from real life. And he gives them to Timothy as examples of all three have aspects of suffering, all three have aspects of sacrifice. 
And the point in the passage is that these things have earthly rewards that he's going to give example of. And in the next part of his letter, he's going to give examples of uh, eternal rewards, right? But he sets, he, he, he sets the foundation with this. The first verses 3 and 4, the single-minded devotion of the soldier. The single-minded devotion of the soldier. Timothy got to be all in, all right? Paul loved the metaphor of the soldier. He used it a lot because it portrays the spiritual battle that is real. The spiritual battle that demands the single-minded devotion the soldier-like attitude. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, where Paul talks about the armor of God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 as well. So we ask the question, what is a good soldier? What is a good soldier? I've not been in the military, but my father was, and his father was, and his father was. And so growing up, my dad was 23 years in the military, and so we traveled all over the place very frequently, and there were times when he was gone uh, when I was saved uh, at age nine. He was in Korea, so we had to wait. He was there for a, a, a long period of time, what seemed like to us a long time. So the soldier has to be devoted. And Paul says in verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. The Romans had a code um, that forbade men enlisted in military service to engage in civilian uh, occupations. And what Paul is saying here is that the Christian, and especially the Christian minister, must be single-minded in his service. He must be focused on Christ even when it leads to suffering. So you've got the this, this single-minded devotion of the soldier. And in verse 5, Paul talks about the disciplined preparation of the athlete. And of these three examples, this one resonates with me the most. Not because I'm a great athlete, far from it, but because of the message that's underlying what Paul's saying here. He says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. When Paul says according to the rules, there was a requirement of athletes who performed in the public games. Uh, it wasn't like uh, Marvin could step up and say, hey, I'm going to participate in this high jump competition, right? Or, or, or the 400 meter, you know. They had to testify. They actually had to do this. They had to swear an oath in front of the statue of Zeus that they had participated in at least 10 months of rigorous training. The idea was you want to keep the competitive level high, right, for the, for the show, all the people watching. You know, why don't we be like the XFL, we would be like the NFL, right? So Paul says the, 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 
disciplined preparation of the athlete is necessary. And for us, what that means is if we don't devote ourselves to single-mindedness and following Christ, if we don't prepare ourselves spiritually with disciplined, diligent preparation, we're not even in the league, you know. And in this spiritual battle that is real, we're not even on the field. And the enemy says, don't waste time with that guy. I'll go to one who's been preparing because he's the one I need to worry about. That's the message here. That's what resonates with me the most. We're not prepared. We're not even going to make the team. And, And Paul says... He's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The Christian who's not disciplined in preparation is disqualified from the competition. I want to be clear that this disqualification is not in the salvific sense. It doesn't have to do with salvation. It has to do with our equipping for service right? in the spiritual battle. Without spiritual discipline, we're out of our league because we're not even equipped. And then finally, the third example, the hardworking farmer. Paul says the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. The farmer's life is difficult. It demands hard work to produce a harvest. We know that to be true today. Imagine what that life was like in the first century It was exponentially more difficult. It involved early and long hours, constant toil, regular disappointments. And this is a perfect analogy of Christian ministry. Requires strain, struggle, and diligence. Paul says the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. The The reward of diligent hard work will far outweigh the toil and the sweat and the tears. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you labor, your labor is not in vain. So Paul's analogies of the soldier, the athlete, the athlete and the farmer all have an element of sacrifice and suffering, but show the necessity for the Christian's single-minded devotion, disciplined preparation, and consistent hard work. R. Kent Hughes, quoting this uh, writing about this passage, he says, the apostolic gospel is everything. We must guard it by being strong, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because we are in Christ, we have this grace. Grace upon grace. The inexhaustible goodness of God. Free grace. Saving grace. Gifting grace. Providing grace. Abounding grace. Strengthening grace. It's all ours, y'all. And that's good news. It's all ours. Nothing we encounter in guarding the gospel will ever exceed God's grace. Nothing. 
So regardless of our circumstance, the word is not bound, and neither are we. Okay? Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys.